Hope you're all doing well. Hope you all had a good week. Hope you're all still pressing on. Because Christ is worth it. I mean, all the ups and downs and all the things that are going on in our world, you know, it's, it's going to be over soon. And I don't say that in a doom and gloom way, but soon we'll be with our glorious Heavenly Father forever. Amen. And uh, as Christians, we should look forward to that. Amen. And that should allow us to be able to press through some of the most, sometimes, debilitating times. First Samuel one twenty, which reads, Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning seeking your face, Lord. Asking you once again that you would be pleased to pour out your spirit upon your people. Lord, that you would move mightily today. We're not here for a ritual, to fondle prayer beads, to go through the motions, to be ceremonial. Lord, we're here to see the face of God. We're here to worship Christ. We're here to exalt our living Savior. So, Lord, have your way today. Cause us to be a desperate people, Lord. Cause us to thirst after you, to hunger after you, Lord. Help us to press in this morning. Lord, I pray you'd give me the ability to proclaim your word, that the Spirit of God would grant me the strength, Lord God, to communicate this message in a way that would be edifying to the saints and a blessing to Christ. Have your way this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Wherefore, it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And this is Hannah's testimony ultimately, of answered prayer. Hannah came, became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel. Ironically, Samuel's name actually means heard by God. Hannah's life is a testimony to the reality that God hears the prayers of his people and answers. God remembered Hannah or as another translation puts it, God took note of Hannah and avenged her. And I'm here to tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, that God has taken into account your pain, your petitions, your prayers, and has not forgotten, but will most certainly vindicate and avenge you at his appointed time. You are not forgotten of God. You are heard by God. When Hannah's accusers and mockers gave her the no face, God vindicated her by saying yes. She was heard by God. When she was basically labeled by others as forgotten and rejected by God, she cried out as the psalmist does in 130 where he says, I waited eagerly for Yahweh's, Yahweh to help and I trust in his word. My soul waits for the Lord to help me more than night watchmen wait for 
the dawn. And I'd like to encourage you this morning that your prayers are heard by God. One of the most debilitating things for a believer, for a Christian, is to think somehow that God doesn't hear your prayers. Have you ever been there before where you feel as though your prayers are just falling on empty ears or the heavens above you are brass and it just doesn't seem like God is hearing your prayers or answering your prayers? Well, I would tell you this morning that God most certainly hears your prayers. And in his appointed time, he will most certainly answer those prayers. But we must remember every request that is given to us by God, hear me now, must also be dedicated to God. In 1 Samuel 1.11, Hannah made a vow to God. She said, don't forget me. Remember me. If you give me a son, I will donate him back to you. You see, the things that we appeal to God for or petition God for, ultimately when he grants us our petitions and answers our prayers, what he gives us must be given back to God in a heartfelt worship. Because ultimately at the end of the day, everything is done for the glory of of God. God answers our prayers, simply put, not only for our benefit, but ultimately for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. Therefore, when we ask God, we seek him, we pray and cry out earnestly for him to hear us in prayer. He answers those prayers, not based upon just the things that we want because we ask, but based upon his own desire and his own glory to fulfill what he's already ordained. And this is a part of the great request of Hannah. Otherwise, the Bible says in James 4, 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. James 4, 1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James is not saying that you don't ask. He's saying you ask, but you ask from the wrong motive. You ask for the wrong reason. You're not asking in accordance to God's will, but more or less for your own pleasure and for your own passion. He goes on to say that you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Those are some pretty strong words. And he goes on to say, or do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Hannah did not spend her blessings on her pleasures by any means, but instead she donated her son unto the living God. That was her pleasure. In Psalm 16, the psalmist cried out, 
You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, in the presence of God there's fullness of joy. See, it's in this presence that we experience, is what the Bible says, pleasures forevermore. And do you understand that that actually is something that we can experience today as believers? And this is why we can say and stand stable when things necessarily aren't coming to pass as we see fit. In other words, we seek God, we petition God, we cry out to God, but it is in those, those moments where it seems that the brake pedal is put on and those things aren't coming to pass, that it is here that we must remember that really our pleasure ultimately not, doesn't come from the thing that comes to pass, but our pleasure is in with God and Him alone. Second Samuel 2.20, Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, Sammy was born in answer, in an answer to your prayer. Now you have given him to the Lord. And I pray that the Lord will bless you with more children to take his place. And the Bible says in verse 21, the Lord was kind to Hannah and she had three more sons and two daughters. But Samuel grew up at the Lord's house in Shiloh. You see, Hannah, Hannah loved the Lord more than her firstborn son. Therefore, she was committed in her dedication unto the Lord. This is a very powerful principle for us to understand this morning as the body of Christ. That we seek God, we petition God, we cry out to God, we travail to God that he would answer our prayers. Only that we may be able to lay that at the feet of our Savior. God definitely, definitely answers our prayers. I would like to look at three aspects of Hannah's prayer this morning as it relates to her son Samuel and the meaning of his name and what that teaches us today. But in all reality, we really don't have to pen up an outline because the model has already been given by Christ. If we were actually to pen up an outline that would give us details to Hannah's prayer, it remarkably comes close, at least in principle, to our Lord's explanation to his disciples in Luke chapter 11, 9 and 10, when he says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Not that it might be opened, but it will be opened. And we see this same pattern in the life of the saints throughout all of Scripture. We see this. It may not be exactly identical to what the Lord is saying here, but in seed form, it's all basically the same. These verses are in response as we see when we read them in Luke chapter 11, we see as an illustration of an impudent friend who will not give up knocking until he is helped. And you know, the interesting thing, the word impudent here actually means being offensively bold. Being offensively bold. That this person really, we don't want to offend God in the sense of our sin against God. But there is a sense here where God respects the man or woman who is offensively bold in coming to him, who doesn't give up, who continues to knock, relentlessly pursues Christ 
in an answer to their prayer. See, it pleases God when we are literally offensively bold in our coming to Him. We just continue to knock. So let us therefore, as the Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Matthew eleven twelve, 12, it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. God respects the violent man and woman in prayer. The violent man who comes after God, seeks after God. Abandoned self and pursues Christ at all costs. An unstoppable, unquenchable desire to meet with Christ and have their prayers answered. It's this violence that moves the heart of God. It's violent prayer that we saw from Hannah's life. Violent prayer. Pursuing God at all costs. She had pretty much already lost her reputation in the sense of those around her. But her violent pursuing of God was heard by God. This is where we see this asking and this seeking and knocking are just not New Testament promises, but are seen throughout the scriptures for God's people, especially in the life of Hannah. Let's look at our first point. Ask and it will be given to you. We see a, a asking Hannah, a woman who wasn't afraid to ask God. She says, because I have asked him of the Lord. Because, she says, I have asked him of the Lord. You notice they put because there. Why did God answer? It's almost an if and then promise. Because, why did God answer my prayer? Because I asked. God answered her prayer. Why? Because she asked. Many of us today are so afraid to ask God for things, to seek God for things, to believe God for things. Even Christ is seen prophetically in Psalms 2 8 with this, with this admonishment from the Father. He says, Ask. Of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance at the ends of the earth for your possessions. God is about asking. God appeals to us to ask Him. It's a promise in Scripture. And I don't think that Hannah was intentionally following any particular pattern here, but hers was a response to the relationship that she had with the Almighty. I mean, I don't think she was going through her prayer points and trying to figure out exactly how to make contact with her Lord. I think this was just a, a response, a, a byproduct of the prime product of a relationship with God. When you know Christ, when you know God, when you spend time with Him, you know how to appeal to Him. You know He hears you even when you're offensive. When you're offensively bold, he hears you. See, it's called a relationship with God. It's having a relationship with the Almighty through Jesus Christ. It's having that ability to come to Christ boldly, as Hebrews says, to come to the throne boldly, to come to God boldly and confidently, even if we don't have it all together. 
is appealing to God knowing that he will answer our prayer. In verse 10 of chapter 1, we see it asking Hannah. It says, Hannah prayed and travailed. And if you want to know a little bit more about travailing, it really is a word used in childbirth. Pleading would be more like it. Pleading in painful labor would really be the picture and illustration that the scriptures give us when it comes to Hannah's prayer life. She may not have been impregnated with a child, but she was most certainly impregnated with the promises of God. In this, my dear brothers and sisters, she must be delivered. She was impregnated, not with, not, with a, not with a child, but she certainly was impregnated with the promises of God. And this was a burden that must be delivered. Her asking was agonizing as one in the throes of labor. Her petitions were like warning flares catapulted towards heaven. As Elijah himself put himself in a position of labor when crying out to God for deliverance, Daniel, in the face of death, in face of a death warrant, he prayed three times a day with his windows open. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted God and were determined to be faithful without any guarantee of deliverance. They had no assurance that they would survive the flames, but they stood firm anyway. The guard said, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, true, O king. He answered and said, lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and that the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. In Daniel 3, 7, it says that they saw these three men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Let me just say one thing this morning. Desperation is relentless. Desperation is relentless. It doesn't doesn't back down. It isn't persuaded to move in another direction. It's relentless. Why? Because its resilience is grounded in the gospel. And this is why the people of God must be relentless. We can't be those who give up and be just like the world. There is a reason and a purpose and a meaning to our drive to meet with God and see our prayers answered. We must plead that we become desperate again and that God would set us free from our callous behavior, our indifference, our coldness, And instill us once again. Stir us up. Drive us again with broken hearts and desperation to meet the living God. Which brings us to our second point. Seek and you will find. We see a seeking Hannah. In 1 Samuel 1.12, as we go back a little bit, it says that she kept on praying. She kept on praying to the Lord. She kept it on. She kept going. I know we've really have hit this hard about Hannah's prayer life, but you can't read the life of Hannah without dealing with prayer because that encompassed her whole being. It encompassed her whole life. This is who she was. She was a woman who sought the living God, who trusted God, and she wasn't dictated by her circumstances. She trusted God. 
And God heard her prayers, so much so that their first son was named Samuel, which actually means God heard her. Names are important. Names have meaning. Names are who we are. Husbands, your name is what you give your wife. And it's a name she has to bear. Names are significant through scripture. Even in Revelation, Christ says, I will give him a name that only he knows. Names are extremely important and significant. Taking her one and only son, she didn't know at this point that she was going to have more children, to take this desire that God had fulfilled and brought to pass and to name him something so symbolic Right? So symbolic as the Lord hears my prayers. The Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, it would be careful for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known unto God. Hannah had her priorities in order. This is huge. This is huge because Hannah sought the Lord's presence through prayer. Hannah sought the Lord's presence through humility. And Hannah sought his presence through surrender. You see, God resists the proud as we see here. And he gives grace to the humble. Prideful people don't pray. Or if they do pray, it's just to be seen by men. And it's performance driven. It has no validity with God whatsoever. Pride is repulsive to God. But prayer should be humility personified. Why is it humble? Because we bow down to another. I don't know how many times I've been out on the streets preaching years ago to crowds of people that literally wanted to kill me because I told them they needed a savior. How dare you tell me that I need to bow my knee to another man? The most offensive thing you can tell someone is that they need something else. And that being God. That you need to be saved. Me saying that you're saved, need to be saved, presupposes that you're a vile sinner. It shows that you cannot make it into Christ's heavenly abode without Christ himself. That you need to be saved. You are ruined, lost, hopeless without God. You are not saved by your good works, by any means. It is the complete finished work of Christ alone which makes you acceptable before God. And truly converted people are humble people. The church of Jesus Christ is not supposed to be prideful and arrogant and self-righteous and obnoxious. We're to be humble with a sweet disposition. This pleases God. Otherwise, he resists us. Hannah was heard by God. She was heard by God. 
She went to God through prayer. She was humble and she surrendered. You see, when you're prideful, you will never surrender. Realize that? You want to micromanage God and micromanage everything else. See, when you can't surrender, it's saying you've got a control issue, that you've got to control everything. You can't let go of your reputation. You can't let go of your money. You can't let go of things in your life because they got a lock on you. You haven't completely surrendered. There's a partial surrender, which is no surrender at all. It's full surrender or nothing. That interesting. Our entire lives, our gifts, our talents, and our abilities, everything that we are must be surrendered. Christ, when he called his disciples to come, says, all those who will come after me must die. Must take up their cross. Do you realize what that means? That means death. That means death to everything, your whole identity, everything that you are, everything that you possess, everything that's been given to you as Hannah must be given back to the Lord. It says in 1 Samuel 1.25, when they had made an offering of the ox, they took the child to Eli. And it says that she stood by Eli. She said, oh, my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. I am that woman that you thought was drunk, was foolish, was insane. Who prayed to God in groanings and utterances that couldn't even be articulated or communicated in human language. And the Bible says that she was standing by Eli, which has much, has a lot of significance there because in Jewish, I say tradition, they didn't believe prayer was prayer unless you were standing. They didn't believe that prayer had any validity unless you were standing. And it says here that she stood by Eli, therefore causing him to notice her and to speak with her on those terms. But we know, Scripture shows us very clearly, there is no certain standard to the way you position yourself in prayer. We can be prostrate, we can be kneeling, we can be standing, we can be lying down or standing up. It makes no difference with Christ because we come to God and seek God. And it's a heart issue, not a kneeling issue. She says in 1 Samuel 1, 27, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me. The Lord had heard my petition, which I asked of him. She is telling him, the Lord heard me and answered my prayer. And I am here to dedicate my son. Which brings us to the third point. Knock, and the door will be open to you, Christ says. We see a knocking Hannah. Because we've got to remember asking for what is wanted it often requires humility. Seeking diligently for it, it, it demands sincerity and a drive are key here. Knocking on doors to gain entrance, this means being persistent, persevering, and occasionally ingenious. She just kept on, kept on, kept on. First Samuel one twelve said, as we've already read, that she kept on going which is also clearly seen in Luke 18, verse 1, where it reads, it says, Then he spoke a parable to them, to his disciples, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there wasn't a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. 
Now there was a widow in the city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? He uses an analogy of, of, of an impudent friend. He uses an analogy of, of, of a woman that would not continually harass the judge. Saying these are men and men dealings with men. How much more with God who is so willing to avenge his elect. To take note of his elect. To take note of you. How many of you this morning here are are in that place with God in prayer and seeking God? I know as a church, um, for me personally, there's a there. I I am definitely um, seeking God for many reasons, and, and, and not to be explained this morning. But as a Christian. If we aren't in that place to where we are driven desperately before God, we've got to re-examine our hearts and ask why. Not from a legalistic perspective, okay? Because everybody's in different places in their lives. Different things are happening. But when the external world so contradicts much of our internal life with Jesus Christ, there should be a response somewhere in physical form that confronts the things in the world that so desperately want to take over the things by which God loves. All around us, the battle rages. People perishing. People dying all around us. Going to how you pass by people every single day who are on the verge and precipice of suicide. We run across people throughout the day. See, we're, we're not mechanical. We're not machines in one sense. To where people are just machines and their symptoms are just things that they have. And we almost have this like view of other people and, 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 and being able to look at them. And we, we, we diagnose them uh, so unloving in such a way where they're not even people anymore. And I think we get to that place sometimes in our own lives where we view even each other is not actual real people sometimes. Real see, the, the biggest thing that drives me crazy with, with the Christianity we see in America is that there, there's no humanization. There's, we've totally minimized the reality that people are human beings. And there's a human aspect to the way God deals with us. Why? Because we are human beings. We do function in a certain way. There are things in, in, in how we live our lives and the way we view life is all built into our humanity. And this is why we need to understand that the God that we serve in being biblical Christians and reaching out to other people is just not a mechanical process. People are just machines passing you by as faith, faceless individuals. They're real people with real problems. 
that really need us to step into their lives, not as a form of condemnation, but as a form of someone that's willing to step aside, step alongside of them, and bear one another's burdens. This is why the church exists. You don't exist just to come in here and hear me run my mouth behind the pulpit for 35, 40 minutes every Sunday. This isn't a ritual. This is the word of God being preached to us today so we can take the word of God, we can digest the word of God, it gets into our DNA, and we go out into the world and we change the world. But also, it gives us a sense of who we really are and where we came from. You know, if we could just get a picture of one moment, if we could get a glimpse of hell, if the Lord could just for one moment take you and just give you a flash of what hell looks like, do you realize what that would do to you? Realizing that that is where you were headed and you're not going there? Do you realize if God could give us a glimpse of the heavenly abode of where we're going, just a flash of that? Do you realize how that would change the complaining attitudes that we have in our lives today and the way we look at life totally different? Knowing where we're going and knowing what we've been saved from and who we've been saved for would change our perspective on everything. But the reality is that we go through this life, we don't pray, we're not in the word of God, we're filling ourselves with the things of the world and we react just like the world. We fear just like the world. We're afraid of everything like the world. We offend each other like the world. We treat each other like the world. Our relationships are cheap and they're just throwaways. Someone says something you don't like, you leave. You walk away because it's the easiest thing to do. Just exactly like the world teaches us. My goodness, they've given us social media. We can ban and delete each other now. We couldn't do that in the past. But we bring that attitude into the church. This reality of, of a hearing God, someone that answers our prayers, someone that we can meet with, so, so changes as people that when we, when we see each other in church, we should have a really serious involvement and care for one another's life. I know that's one of the greatest features of 116, at least for the most part, has been the way that we love each other here at this church. I can say, you know, just from my point of view that you guys are probably the most loving people I've ever been around. I mean, as far as I've seen at churches, I mean, I, I certainly not the, you know, the final authority on all the churches around, but I would say that for me personally, I've never met more loving people in my life, more caring people, more compassionate people, prayerful people in my life. And I'm very grateful for that, and I know you are as well. And I would love to see more of that. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. 1 Thessalonians says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to, the, to God. Your prayers are heard by God, brothers and sisters. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. 
Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I want to read you a quick story, finishing right with this story this morning. A story by Charles Spurgeon. Where he says, keeping the hope that our prayers would be answered. Because I know a lot of times, there's many of us who've been praying year in and year out, year in and year out. Maybe it's been for someone to get converted. Maybe it's for your family members. Maybe it's for your children. Maybe it's for your spouse. Maybe it's for a cousin of yours. Maybe it's someone at work, someone you've just been praying for day in and day out, and you haven't seen any kind of response whatsoever. To, to, To remain and keep hope in your prayers and know that God will answer your prayer either in the here and now or in the here and after. Spurgeon says there was a father who had prayed for many years for his sons and daughters and yet they were not converted but became exceedingly worldly. His time came to die. He gathered his children around his bed hoping to bear such a witness for Christ at the end that it might be blessed to their conversion. But unhappily for him, he was in deep distress of soul. He had had doubts about his own interest in Christ. He was one of God's children who are, as the as Spurgeon once said, is put to bed in the dark. This was above all the worst fear of his mind, that his dear children would see his distress and be prejudiced against religion. The good man was buried. His sons came to his funeral, and God heard the man's prayer that very day. For as they went away from the grave, one of them said to the other, Brother, our father died a most unhappy death. He did, brother. I was very astonished at it, for I never knew a better man than our father. Ah, said the first brother, if a holy man such as our father found it hard to die, it'll be a dreadful thing for us who have no faith when our time comes. That same thought had struck them all and drove them to the cross. And so the good man's prayer was heard in a mysterious way. Be of good courage, brothers and sisters. God hears your prayers. Be confident to continue. Seek the Lord. Seek him. Ask, seek, and knock. Let's pray. Thank you.